Good morning, everyone. Welcome to SBC. If you are out further towards the parking lot, come on in and grab a seat. We're going to get started. Welcome online. We're excited to see you. Hopefully this broadcast will last the whole couple hours that we're here. But I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. I will open us up in prayer and then we can get started. So feel free to make your way over here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah. This is Judy, Doug, and Derek. And we're excited to worship with you this morning. So I'll open us up in prayer and then we can get started. Lord, we're excited to meet with you this morning. Father, we ask that you would um, just clear the smoke away, Lord. Would you bless the firefighters that are out there working day in and day out to fight these fires, Lord? And we're just excited to meet with you this morning, Lord. As you just laid on my heart this week, all of these songs are really just truly about the forgiveness of sin, Lord, that we owe a huge, eternal, cross-sized debt that we could never repay. And it's because of your love that you endured the cross for us, Lord that you went to the cross and became our sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, your word says that you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and we're remembered by their name no more, Lord. And so I pray that this morning you would encourage us if we come heavy laden or joyful, Lord, that we would just come just as we are before your cross, excited to receive the forgiveness that you offer us, Lord, that continually cleansed conscience. What a promise and what a privilege that is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. of your love if you're in the app or on the paper but it talks about really just truly the cross and how some of the details in it that he endured our pain that he bore all of our shame that that debt that I was talking about earlier that he paid that and because of that every past present and future sin is washed away and that's what we're going to sing about this morning and so I invite us to worship um, because of your love
for love It's your victory Jesus, you are enough You did it for me
His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood in the dead we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy. Church. Everyone say, Jesus. Jesus. Awesome. Hey, um, if I haven't met you, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the pastoral team here and uh, have the great privilege uh, for the most part getting to teach and go through the Word of God. We're in the book of Colossians, so uh, if you have your Bible or you have an app or a device, whatever it is that works best for you, 
go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I just want to mention a couple different uh, things, of course, by way of announcements. We do have an app. If you haven't downloaded that, uh, go ahead and do that. Actually, there there is a Bible inside of that app as well as our, our newsletter. And we're trying to point everybody to that uh, so they can understand everything that's going on because September's around the corner and all of these things are going to be starting back up in September. All of our community groups, uh, we have a movie night for the ladies coming up, a women's retreat. Uh, there's a women's mentoring group, uh, the Financial Peace University, uh, and, and a bunch of other things. We also have for the men, some Bible studies for the men in there. We've got a, a Bible memorization uh, uh, ministry that just started up which we have a bunch of guys sign up for that. Mike is leading that. Where are you, Mike? Can you just stand up so everyone can see you? This is Mike right here. Contact him. If, if you want to start memorizing the word and uh, kind of low um, commitment to a certain degree, but he's leading that. He's also leading a great men's group. He's got a lot of great things going on. Make sure you touch base uh, with Mike. And then a couple other things that are important to note. Uh, Brad and Pam, after... Together, between the two of them, they have served Sierra Bible Church together for over 60 years. It's pretty incredible. And uh, they're moving to Texas, because why not? And um, and we're going to be honoring them uh, in a couple weeks, praying for them up here as they journey on. And then we're looking, uh, if you're interested in giving them a financial gift, to say goodbye to them and to love on them as they go and they retire. Uh, feel free to do that. Just mark that it's for Brad and Pam. We'll make sure it, it goes to them. Then... Uh, we've got a few more weeks outside, uh, and then September 5th, we're going inside, and, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. The, the main one being it's just hard on the volunteers. It's a lot of work and a lot of effort uh, to be out here, uh, and we lose some dynamics. We'll be moving back to 8.30 and 10.30. Now, um, I, I almost don't ever want to say anything, but I, I feel like it, at times I just have to so you understand where the leadership is and where we're at with that. Uh, I actually saw a church uh, in the news in Atlanta and Atlanta, this church in Atlanta, large church, mega church, has made the decision that in order to come indoors for, for worship, uh, you have to be vaccinated. So at the door, they're literally asking their congregants uh, to see their vaccination card. Now, I was trained with the understanding that when someone comes to church, they come as they are. And that we accept Jew, Gentile, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, <laughs> masked or not masked and i just need you to know it is the decision of the leadership to not enforce any other mandates or any other restrictions that we want you you're educated you've been called to love your neighbor you know what you should do you know what you shouldn't do we have options for you to come as you are mask or no mask vaccine or no vaccine you can isolate yourself on the deck you can watch online thank you for doing so there are options for you but it is not the church's job to enforce any such thing, okay? And then when I go to prison for this, you will visit me as they did Paul. You all, you got my bail. You all laugh, but. No, we're serious. It's a real deal. Um, Okay, Colossians chapter two. Would you stand with me? We honor God's word, we love God's word. We're gonna dive into chapter two. Verse 1, Back, backdrop, remember, Paul didn't plant this church, but he brought the guy, Epaphras, who planted this church in Colossae uh, to the Lord. And so Epaphras ends up in Colossians, or Colossae rather, and he has planted this church. And in planting the church, the church has started to go through some struggles. There have been some ideologies and philosophies 
that have entered into the church. The church has began to embrace ideologies and philosophies of the world. And so Epaphras travels to prison where Paul is and says the church is struggling. And we would love for you, basically, I'm paraphrasing, to write a letter to the Colossian church uh, and, and basically get people focused just right back on Jesus. And so he says this in verse 1. I want you to know, chapter 2, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at another church, Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, take note of that verse, and being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk with him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Lord, Strengthen us this day to stand in a culture that absolutely hates you and loathes you. May we stand firm because you love us deeply. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Um, so here's kind of the, the tag line of the message this morning. The title of the message this morning is A Strong Heart, Strong Church. Strong heart, strong church, three kind of headings that we're going to cover. The, the mark of love, love's goal, and love's motivation. So just tying everything into the heart and love. If That's why I made note, if you're looking at your Bible, to uh, take, take note of what he says here in regards that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love. Strong heart, strong church. Let's talk about love for just a moment. The mark of love and the mark that the church of love has. How many of you remember the first time you fell in love? <laughs> that emotion? Um, I remember when Allie and I first started dating, we, I, I stopped kind of eating for some reason. <laughs> and I would get butterflies in my stomach when I was around her. And um, C.S. Lewis actually talks about this idea of love and relationship. And he says, really, like, like especially in falling in love and marriage, when you fall in love in marriage, he says there's, there's kind of an initial like turning of the key, the ignition of a car, and there's a great grand explosion. And in that explosion, you feel things and you sense things, you're, you're, you're kind of raw, uh, and there's those moments of awkwardness of trying to figure each other out, and, and are you lying to me or not about who you really are to impress me? And, and now that world all exists online, which I, it's so far from me in understanding that because that wasn't part of my dating experience. But Lewis goes on to say, that's like some couples would think later on in like 10 years of marriage that maybe, maybe after 10 years of marriage, where is that explosion? Where is that feeling? Where is that emotion? And Lewis says, that's just not realistic. He says, could you imagine after 10 years of marriage still lying in bed and looking over at your wife and saying, I just can't sleep tonight. I'm so in love with you. I just can't eat because I'm so in love with you. He says, no, rather... Rather, the explosion occurs, and then after that, it's, it's about decision-making, and it's about sacrifice. It's about choosing to care for that person, sometimes in spite of that person. And the Bible says that the church, 
should be marked for a love of one another. A love for the world, for sure, those who are lost, but a deep love for the people that are to the left of you and to the right of you, to the people that are called of the church. Now, remember, Paul is pushing against false ideologies, false philosophies, false thinking. And he wants the church to have a strong heart. And what he's letting us know is he's saying, first of all, I mentioned this last week, he's saying, I want you to know the way that I have toiled and I have strived, the way that I have studied and read and prayed and met with and been with you, the sacrifices that I have taken. I just want you to know how hard I've worked for you in, in another church, the Laodicean church. He, he's saying that the leaders, there's, there's three kind of pieces of love in the church that it should be marked for. The first one is a love of Christ. We love because he first loved us. So we're only capable of a real kind of love, a sacrificial kind of love, a giving kind of love, to the extent that we understand that Jesus loves us. And in fact, as I mentioned marriage earlier, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, has the commandment to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That's a sacrificial kind of love. He goes on to say that that husband should love her as Christ loves the church. He should cleanse her, washing her with the word, that she won't have any wrinkle or any such thing, and that she would be holy and she'd be without blemish. So the love of Christ takes away the blemish of sin and takes away the guilt and the shame that we have in this world because of the mistakes that we've made. And later, Paul says, I'm not actually even speaking of marriage. I'm actually speaking of Christ concerning the church. The church has to be marked by a love of Jesus first, and then the leaders must be marked for a love of their people. Paul frequently expresses his love for the church. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love you more. In Philippians 1, 7, he says, I hold you in my heart. Right? Your pastors and your leaders should be marked by a love for you. You should know that I love you. Some a little less than others. But for the most part, I absolutely love our church. I love our people. I love our community. I'm not trying to brag on myself in any way. Please don't take it that way. I'm mentioning it by way of something that should be duplicated and marked. The reason that I go to a local gym and the reason that I go to local restaurants and I frequent local places is because I want the community to know that, that Seer Bible Church is in the community for the community. The reason I volunteer for certain things in the community is so the community will know that the leaders of Sierra Bible Church love them. The reason we want to support local businesses is for the same reason. The reason we want to support you in many different ways, whether it's through an app or whether it's a, a bookstore that we have in the, in the building or whether it's Sunday sermons or whether it's free VBS or free whatever it might be, we do these things because we deeply love you as a leadership. And it always drives me bananas, just absolutely drives me crazy when people have the audacity to think or to believe that in some way Sierra Bible Church exists to build Sierra Bible Church's kind of great name. We don't care about the name. See, we could change the name for all I care. You know, we've actually talked about changing the name. But we figured how controversial would it be for us to remove the word Bible out of our name? I don't want that to be removed. In fact, over the years, I've come to love the fact that, that we're kind of letting the culture know when you come here, you're getting the Bible. We're Sierra Bible Church, <laughs> right? We live in the Sierras, we teach the Bible, and we're a gathering of people 
who love Jesus. And the reason I say that is because there's all kinds of places that want to change the name of the church so that it'll be more palatable and acceptable to the culture. The church is not supposed to be palatable and acceptable to the culture. Did you know that? The church is to rub against culture, to be different than culture. And one of those radical marks is a radical love from Jesus to the church and from the leaders to the church and then believer to believer. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must, what? Love one another. If you're a Christian and you say you don't like somebody, 1 John would basically say maybe you're not a Christian. You can't hate your brother and say that you love Jesus. Part of being a Christian is accepting people we don't like. Right? That's why, that's why I have a problem when someone says, well, so-and-so can come to church, but so-and-so can't come to church because of whatever reason. Absolutely not. The church's doors are to be open for anyone and everyone. The rich, the poor, the broken, the bruised, the well-put-together, the good-looking, the ugly, the handicapped, you name it. It's one of the reasons, we, I don't know if you guys realize this, the amazing amount of effort and time and money that has been spent to try to replace this handicap ramp over here. First of all, you got to give Andy Finch and the Deacons a big round of applause. They've spent so many hours trying to figure this thing out and trying to make sure that it's done well because we have people in our church who need access to the teaching of God in that building. And we want to make it as accessible to them as possible. And, oh, we still have to obey the laws and how the, how the code works and all of this. And then you get to learn as a pastor how many feet a slant thing has to do and all of this. And, you know, it's things I didn't sign up for. You have to just, I just was like, build the thing. And they're like, well, you can't just build it. And then you realize, okay, let's do it right. So Paul says, I want you to know this love I have for you. I want you to know how much I've toiled for you. I want you to know the struggle I've had in Laodicea. And it's this love... It's this love that Paul has expressed from Jesus. It's this love that Paul has expressed from Jesus and then to the church. And it's this love that the church has for one another that allows us to go through travail and struggle. It's the mark of love that keeps us going. Paul would say that it's this love that is, has, has, has kept me rooted in, in building up the kingdom of God and pouring into the church. You've got to listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, and then have some sympathy for Paul and hopefully some sympathy for your church leaders. Paul says, are these other leaders out there? Are they servants for Christ? He goes on and he says, I'm actually a better servant. He says, I'm talking like a madman. He goes on and says, I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonment. So he wasn't just imprisoned once. He's had several imprisonments. He goes, countless beatings. Okay, here's your leader in the church. I've been beaten, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's five times he was whipped 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. We'll just throw that in there. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about weed here. He's talking about literal rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. After one time, I'm not in a boat anymore. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. He was lost at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, even though his own church. Danger from Gentiles, those who don't believe in God, 
Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. At one point, do you just say, I'm done? He goes on and says, in toil and hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold, in exposure. You know what I love about this verse? He says, okay, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've had problems with rivers. And just so you know, he's talking in context of his journeys to go propagate and spread the gospel to the entire known world. I'm going from point A to point B to spread the good news that Jesus has died for Jew and Gentile. It's worth every sacrifice, every beating, every whipping, every stoning, every trial, every tribulation. It's worth not eating. It's worth not sleeping. And then he adds to the, to the tail end of this verse, oh, also, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Do you know what it is like be anxious for a group of hundreds if not thousands of people like Paul was but you, you know what happens within our church we're the hub of amazing stories amazing con conversions Joe Casey is going to be taking Brad Franklin's job and he's just kind of that that golden gem in, in my ministry of a man who who went through a divorce was addicted to drugs was isolated and alone came to Sierra Bible Church, got saved at Sierra Bible Church, was discipled at Sierra Bible Church, wrestled with him through his faith, wrestled with him through his doubts, wrestled with him through his depression, and now he's coming on staff as a full-time guy and working towards being ordained as a minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the anxiety of lead, really leading and loving a church Paul is saying is just as great as all of these other beatings. And then later in the rest of the passage, then he goes on just to tie this in with the idea of love, the mark of the love of the church. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's worth it. So that's the mark of the church. That's who we should be. That's what we should be marked by. And the goal, this is point two, the goal of love is to have a strong heart. That's what Paul says here. That you'd have a strong heart. Paul says, I'm pouring myself out. I'm teaching the word of God because I want your heart to be strong. Now, here's what we need to do with a little bit of Bible work because it's deeply important for you to understand the difference, especially in the Greek language between the heart and the mind or emotions and intellect. Whenever the Bible says typically, when, not always, but typically when he says, I want you to have a strong heart, he's saying, I want you to have a strong mind. Because in fact, what, what, whenever the Bible actually talks about emotions, it talks about it in the gut. So back, back in Paul's day, when they talked about, man, I really feel for you, it was a guttural experience. Like I talked about with my wife when I couldn't eat, right, when we were dating. Or when you feel love, where do you feel it? In the guts. So there was this kind of, kind of expression that, that emotions were seated in the guts of man. Not in the heart of man, but the guts of man. And that more than likely, the, the heart, the heart actually spoke of the intellect, the mind. And the Bible has all kinds of things to say about the mind. First of all, when it talks about the heart, it says, keep your heart, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vi vigilance, for from, it from, for from it flow the springs of life. So the first thing about having a strong heart 
is number one, you've got to be careful with it, your mind, and you have to be careful that you watch over your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? You know what the Bible would say? Don't trust your own intellect without the word of God and without the Bible and without an anchor of truth for your soul. How many of you have felt like doing something and so that felt emotion led you to do something and you realized, oops. Right, the old saying, if it feels good, do it. Isn't that a cultural mantra? That is the stupidest thing that anyone could ever say. There's all kinds of things that feel good that you shouldn't do. Right? It, it's, I really like Alistair Begg has this great bit where he talks about going to a church and the worship, the worship guy comes up on, on the stage. And he says the very first thing that the worship guy says when he's standing up on the stage is, How you feeling? How you feeling today? And Alistair Begg goes on and says, What kind of nonsense is that to ask me how I'm feeling? I had a hard time getting to church. I didn't read my Bible last night. I barely got out the door. I kicked the dog, he says, and I don't even own a dog. <laughs> and now you're asking me, how am I feeling? And he goes on and says, that's not the job of the church to ask you how you're feeling. The job of the church is to ask you, what do you know? The difference between, oh, God, you love me. Oh, no, no, no. God has atoned for your sins. He has forgiven you. He has grace for you in the midst of your struggle. Tell me what I need to know about God. Tell me what my mind needs to know so that it then will influence my heart and my emotions inside of my gut. Tell me what is true. Do you know how many times in my marriage I thought, Allie, do you still like me? And, and, and to the attitude or, or whatever it is that she's experiencing that day, I've got to tread carefully here, right? She's in the audience this morning. Come to find out, no, it's, She's had a bad day or something happened with the kids or something's influenced her. But my emotions were lying to me. But the truth is that she loves me. So the Bible says, be careful because your heart will deceive you. Your mind will deceive you. Watch over it because from your heart, from your mind will spring life. So the encouragement then is to let the word of God dictate the way that you live and to let the word of God examine you. Right? You maybe heard it this way. Don't read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. Right? Is your thinking in line with Scripture? And you have to be students of God's Word. You have to be inside of God's Word because every single day, CNN is telling you something. Fox News is telling you something. Social media is telling you something. The culture in the world is telling you something. And all of those messages are false messages and false ideologies and false teachings from the pit of hell. Right? What does Paul say? He says, you know what? You know why you need to live according to the word? He says, so you would not be deluded with plausible arguments, ideologies, philosophies. In fact, one pastor I listened to this week, total different topic. He talked about this and he said, Anytime you reduce the problem of a man to an ideology, you've simplified the world and, and you've made it to where, to where you're, you're isolating people from one another. So give you a, for instance, critical race theory. White privilege. These are ideologies. 
Well, Paul would say, I don't want you to be swayed by false doctrines and the teaching of men. They are philosophies and ideologies that run counterculture to the gospel. See, the world is telling you, you've got to buy into these things, but the Bible's telling you, you know what the problem is? Your heart. You are a sinner. You are guilty of sin and, and committing things against God. At your very core, inside of your heart, you were born a sinner. You, you want to do your own thing. You want to be the center of your universe. You want to do it your own way. That's what, that is what idol worship is. Idol worship is, I don't want to do it God's way. I'll do it my way. The problem with man is not white privilege. The problem with man is not white supremacists. The problem with man is sin. And the only solution is to confess that sin and to repent of that sin and live according to the word of God. Yeah. So when we go in our culture, we go, what false ideologies, false philosophies are out there that the culture is telling you that if you don't accept these things, you don't love people. The reality is the church, again, should be marked by such a radical love that we're watching over our hearts because of the love of Jesus. And can we just add to the fact we need better teachers? We need better Bible preachers. We don't need better music, friends. We don't need better TV screens. I mean, take a look at how beautiful the back of our stage is, huh? Look at how gorgeous that fence is. We don't need a better tent. Right? We, we don't need better speakers. We don't need a better children's program. Though it's important, those things are important. Though we need those things, we need men and women who will teach the good news. 1 Thessalonians 3.2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Acts 14.21, as well as 18.23, Paul travels church to church to strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage them to continue in the faith, to strengthen their hearts. Good Bible teachers, good Bible teaching gives you assurance that you wouldn't doubt your salvation and you wouldn't doubt your place in this world. That you wouldn't doubt God's goodness in your life. As John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand because I and the Father are one. If God is for you, who can be against you? Yeah, yeah, but they're threatening to lose my job if I don't. If God is for you, who can be against you? Yeah, but this is, if God is for you, who can be against you? Can I just admit, I've, I've also been guilty of just worrying way too much about everybody else. It's just time for us to just sit back and go, you know what? I got the gospel. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to love my neighbor to the best of my ability. And if I lose my job, Jesus has me. If the world's going to hate me, Jesus has me. I, it's going to be okay. Is, if your marriage is struggling, if your kids are rebellious, if, if you just adopted a dog like we did and he's eating chicken carcasses off of the counter. That's a real thing, by the way, for us. Jesus has us. To not have anxiety and to not feel threatened by the world. Because Jesus has overcome the world. And it's our time. And having a strong heart, which is that strong mind that then strengthens down into the real heart. 
to keep us from being deluded by the world. False teachers, false ideas. What the New Testament would say, as Paul said several different times, there, there are teachers out there that are dogs and they're pigs and they're wolves. And they're out there like that lion that is Satan to destroy you, to devour you, to make you worry. The culture's out there. But in Ephesians 4.11, Paul says for the church, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Teachers. Right? He's given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of Christ. That's one of the reasons why, man, I absolutely love our church because you're hungry for the word. I had lunch with an older gentleman today and just encouraged my heart, sat down, bought us a good old lunch, ate some good old calories to strengthen the belly as well as the soul. And he just said, thank you so much, Jesse, for making me want to read my Bible more. That's the greatest compliment I could get as a pastor. Thank you for encouraging me and strengthening me and giving me a desire to read the word of God, or rather, as I would say, to let the word of God read you. He goes on in Ephesians and he says the reason that we have these individuals is for the unity of the church, for knowledge in Christ, and to grow in maturation. So that, he adds to it just as Paul does, that we would not be carried away by the waves of every doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Those schemes are out there. So we must have a continual ongoing submission to the word of God and the Holy Spirit that we would have, as he says in verse 2, full assurance and understanding. You know what else strengthens the heart? Look at verse two, two again. Com complete my joy by being of the same, oops, I'm in Philippians, that's what the wind does. It's still unity though, which is interesting. Um, that their hearts may be encouraged and they would be knit together. So our hearts be encouraged, but one of the ways that we strengthen the heart and the mind is to be strengthening each other in the gospel. Francis Schaeffer has this great line when he talks about, basically what he's saying, this knit together, is the relationships we have with each other. This is why we have community groups. This is why we have Mike Harrison doing Bible study groups. This is why we do the things that we do outside of the church during the week, so that we would be knit together. Really, I, I, I would call it friendship. But Francis Schaeffer says, says, the unity of the church, the fact that we're out here gathering in front of our neighbors, in front of this busy street, Francis Schaeffer says the unity of the church is the final apologetic to the watching world. You know, he, says, he says that the unity of the church, that we're gathered together under the gospel and the love of Jesus, the unity of love we have for each other, is the defense of the gospel the world needs. Some of you are here this morning. I know you and I see you. You came in the last year because you needed friendship. You needed community. Individuals in this last year have come to our church and have become Christians because they were isolated for a year and needed friendship and came here and found it. And because they saw the mark of the church and the love of the church, they fell in love with Jesus. How cool is that? We should rejoice in those things. There's a couple individuals who were known for talking a lot about friendship within Christianity. One goes way back and one's a little more recent. The first one is St. Augustine. The other one is C.S. Lewis. And some believe 
that actually uh, C.S. Lewis was influenced heavily in regards to his view on friendship and intimacy in the church by Augustine. But C.S. Lewis says this. He says, friendship adds value to life. He, he called relationships, sitting down as friends, he called them golden sessions. Listen to what he says. When the whole group is together, each bringing out all that is best, wisest, and funniest, and all of the others, he says, these are golden sessions. When four or five of us, after a hard day, hard day walk, have come into our inn, when our slippers are on and our feet are spread out towards the blaze and our drinks are at our elbows, when the whole world and something beyond the world opens itself up to our minds as we talk, this brings about great unity and friendship. Augustine says this, my greatest comfort and relief is in the consolation of friends. Augustine went on to write, friendship has joys that captivate my heart, the charms of talking and laughing together and kindly giving way to each other's wishes, reading together elegantly written books, sharing jokes and delighting to honor one another. If we disagree with each other occasionally, it's without malice, as a person must disagree with himself. And the rare occasions of dispute lend spice to season our much more frequent accord. We teach and learn from each other sadly missing any who are absent and gladly welcoming of them when they come home. Such signs of friendship spring from our hearts of friends who love and know they are loved in return. Signs to be read in smiles, words, glances, and a thousand gracious gestures. These are sparks that kindle a blaze to melt our hearts and fuse them inseparably into one. Hear what Augustine says? He says basically being in friendship with other believers, sitting down and having good conversation with other believers good fellowship with other believers, even in disagreement, he essentially says, melts the ice of the heart. Right? The Bible is basically saying, you know what, don't just attend church, be the church and know the church. Be fully known and still fully loved. Right? We're to be a community that says, yeah, you're different than me. Some of your theology is a little bit off. I don't necessarily like your view on eschatology there. And some of you are like, I don't even know what eschatology is. Right? I, don't, I don't know if I agree with your soteriology. And again, some of you are like, soteriology, what is that? And we have our convictions. We stand upon truth. We stand upon the word of God. But we're united by the one main thing that is the main thing. We were once sinners who've been brought near by a loving God, by the grace of God, not because we've ever deserved any of it, but because he has loved us. And there may be even some of you here this morning, you don't even know why you're here. And it's because Jesus has been faithfully pursuing you. And you didn't know it. And you may be even feeling a little something in your heart now. A little something in your gut. You know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, you are to be a child of mine. If some of you are feeling that, even as Christians, it's God down in your gut saying, okay, it's time to surrender more of your life to him. To not fall into the deceptive teachings of the world and the philosophies and the ideologies of man, but fall in love with God. Which leads me to my last and closing point that will be brief. The motivation of this love comes from verses 6 through 7, that we walk with him. And we walk with him in gratitude. The way that we love each other. The way that we continually anchor ourselves in grace is by walking with Jesus. And you cannot love until you give yourself to him completely. Again, to quote Augustine, he says, he says this of our relationship with God, God, you have made us for yourself. 
And oh Lord, our hearts will be restless until they rest in you. You know what's so great about this passage is Paul saying, okay, Colossian church, you've got false ideologies. You've got people saying you've got to have secret knowledge. You've got people telling you that materialism is bad. And Paul doesn't get into a list of pragmatics. Instead, he gets into intimacy. He says, you have to do this in order to be a Christian. You've got to do this to be a Christian. You've got to do this and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. He says, no, 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 no. You walk with him. It's not about being just a better husband. It's not about just being a better human being. It's not about being the best you can. It's about knowing him. And then Jesus says, remember I mentioned about the friendship that we need for one another and the intimacy for each other. John 15, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I love that. But then he goes, just so you know, he adds to this verse, just so you know, just so you know it has nothing to do with you and it's all me. I love you because of you, not because of what you've done. He goes on and then in verse 16, he says, just so you know, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I came after you. I loved you. It's all me. And then he tells us why we've been saved. You've been appointed that you should go and bear fruit. And then he tells us how we bear that fruit, that we would abide in him, that we would sit with him. And then in verse 17, he closes. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Imagine, and it's not too hard for me to imagine it because we're pretty much almost there, but we all have a little further to go. But imagine what our church and our community would look like if it was marked by this kind of love, this kind of friendship, this kind of acceptance, this kind of generosity, what in the world would happen? Change the world, change the community, change the culture, change our hearts to be more joy-filled. Would you stand with me as we pray and we worship the one who loves us? Lord, I pray that we would all desire to walk with you, to be unified with you. I pray, Lord, we would not allow silly little arguments, silly little things, just silliness to divide us or to cause us to want to leave the church or not be part of the church, Lord. For Those things are not worth it. We're a family, Lord. And as a family, we're called to love each other, especially when things are hard especially when it's hard to agree, especially when we don't see eye to eye. So I pray for more grace that marks this church, more grace that marks our Christian community. Would you use that mark of love to be that apologetic to the world that we are a true family of God? We trust you for that work. You will be faithful who started that work to finish it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen.
celebrate that truth. God bless you guys.